Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ariel. Amen. Um, if you notice on those announcements, we were talking a lot about missions, and so much so this month that as I was praying and, and just seeking God on what we were going to be doing, uh, the Lord led me to a series that we'd like to kick off starting today on missions. And the reason I was th thinking that and the reason I felt the Lord had pressed that upon me is because it's important to understand there is a reason why we gather together week in, week out. There's a reason why God has given us this instructional book we call the Bible. There is a purpose and a mission that God has given each and every one of us corporately. God has given us a mission individually, but God has given us a purpose. You weren't saved just to go to heaven. Otherwise, you would have just went there after you said yes. God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and part of that purpose and plan includes a mission. And so I want to talk this month not just about any mission, but what the Bible describes as the Great Commission. Uh, now, I like to break that word down as co-mission, meaning this is the mission that we all have together. As believers, as disciples, there is a mission that God has given us corporately that he has called us as the church to fulfill. And in order to help explain that a little bit, let me give you this illustration. This is a, an old illustration. You might have seen this in the past, but I think it really helps us understand what the church is and maybe even more what the church is. And if you have, uh, you know, if you have, if you do me a favor, look up at the screen real quick. I want to show you this picture. And it's a picture of two ships. Now, these two ships have a few things in common. One, they're massive. These are actually two of the largest ships that we have on the ocean right now. And uh, they're both, like I said, ships. They both float. They both carry thousands of people. They both travel on the ocean for long distances. Uh, they both have food and amenities and everything that you need. Like both of those things are basically floating cities. Uh, they got Starbucks's, they got uh, meal preps, they got gyms, they got everything you need. Uh, which by the way, I've never been on either of those kinds of boats. And I don't know about you, there's some people here that are just scared of open water. And uh, I just seen way too many movies and the ocean is terrifying. And so I'm happy on land. I'll do my thing here. Um, Y'all enjoy yourself. You know, well, hope you come back, right? But, <laughs> but there's, there's some similarities, but there's also some major, major differences between these two ships. The one on top is a cruise ship. The one on the bottom is a warship. The one on top, the majority of the people on that boat are there to be entertained. They pay good money to be entertained, to eat at all hours of the night. I've been told a lot of those cruise ships have like 24-hour food. Now, I might be interested in that. I'll just keep the ship on the dock. I'll get in, do my thing, and I'll get back off when y'all take off. Okay, but you know, everything on a cruise ship is meant to entertain you. There's live shows, there's daycare, there's swimming pools and, and water slides and like everything there is to entertain you. The rest of the people on that boat who aren't there to be entertained are there to entertain, right? So you're either there to be entertained or you're there to entertain. This is a drifting vacation. The other ship is actually the U.S.'s largest naval vessel that we have at the time, the USS Gerald. This thing is incredibly massive. It actually carries on top of the deck 75 plus aircrafts, so fighter jets that can be deployed at any moment. The specs on this are ridiculous. It's about the length of three and a half football fields. Um, it is a, a massive, massive warship. 
The difference is this ship is not on vacation. This ship is on mission. Every person on that ship plays a specific role towards accomplishing that mission. There are no passengers, only servicemen and women. No one on the battleship, no one on the warship is there to sit on the deck and catch some sun. Otherwise, they'll be catching hands from superior officers. That ship is meant for war. That ship is worth billions of dollars, not to entertain, but to serve and protect, to be what it's called to be and to accomplish what it's called to accomplish. The church has never been called to be a cruise ship. We're not here to play music. Oh, that music was so entertaining. We didn't want to entertain you, okay? I'm not here to give you a really nice little motivational talk so that you feel good about yourself. That's not the purpose of the pastor. That's not the purpose of worship. That's not the purpose of the building. This isn't your, your private playground. This isn't your private club. This is never meant to entertain you. Although a lot of times we can treat churches like that, especially when we choose churches, well, I like the decor of this church, and I like the kind of music they play, or, or I like the way that guy talks, or I like the, the facilities they have for my kids. And I'm not saying those things aren't important, but don't let those things distract you from what we were called to do as a church. As a church, we have been called to be on mission, to accomplish things. So what does that mean? That means every single one of you has a responsibility that God has brought you here, not so that we can just serve you, although we're happy to serve you, but God has called you here to serve a purpose as well. No one in this room has been called to just sit and watch us do church. This is why we put Growth Track together, to help you understand that purpose, to help you uh, and, and facilitate and help you navigate all those questions about, well, what am I supposed to do? And, and am I a cook on this ship or am I a gunner or am I, like, what is my role? And here's what you need to understand. Whether you're a cook and the gunner, they're all important. I mean, gunner sounds cool, right? I mean, I, I don't, I ain't gonna lie, I'd like to be a gunner. You know, a little 50 cows on the side of the ship, that'd be pretty dope. Fighter pilot, that sounds like an amazing job. I wouldn't mind being a fighter pilot. And we can downgrade cooks. But listen, that ship carries over 1,500 people. They got to eat. Somebody got to feed them. Somebody got to keep them alive. Somebody got to clean. Somebody got to, like everybody has a role to play. So no matter how big or small you think your role is, every role of every individual in this building is vital. So whether you're called to preach or you're called to go in the office and pray while the preacher's preaching, everything you do is vital to the success of the mission if you understand that we're all on mission. So let me give you an understanding of this mission. This is going to be our context verse for this month, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. So every month we're going to look at this verse and we're going to break down one of the alls that we see here. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. Jesus came and told his disciples, this is after his resurrection, these are some of his final instructions. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, here are your marching orders. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what the Bible describes 
as the Great Commission, our mission statement as a church. Now listen, churches have a lot of cool taglines and a lot of cool mission statements, and every church has a unique personality and a unique perspective and even unique giftings. But every church, the church, capital C, is called to do this. This is at the core of our purpose. This does not need reinventing. This does not need reimagining. This needs fulfilling. We need to fulfill the Great Commission. Otherwise, Belmont is off-key, off-course, not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Now, with that, this morning, I want to focus in on the first all. If you notice in that scripture, there's four times that the scripture says all. And the first time we hear that say is when Jesus tells the disciples, all authority has been given to me. Now, authority is something that we think we're familiar with, but we may not fully understand. We all submit or wield some sort of authority, albeit limited. You might have authority over your children, but when they grow up and they start their own families, uh, that authority changes. Your boss might have authority over you, but only as it relates to your workplace, right, as your job. If your boss shows up in your kitchen, be like, hey, I need you to make me a sandwich. Homie, you don't live here, work here, get out of my house, <laughs> right? There are limits to that person's authority. As citizens, we live by a governing authority. You may not like the government, you may not like the people in the government, but whether you like them or not, we still have to respect and honor the authority that's been placed, those rules that we have. Otherwise, if you violate them, there will be consequences. So it's not like that. That's not an argument in front of the judge. It's like, well, why did you speed on that? I just don't think speeding should be illegal. Well, what you think doesn't matter, homie. And by the authority vested in me, here's a $150 ticket. All authority is somewhat limited or terminal for us, right? Most of our experience with authority has its limits. But one example of authority that I think is a bit more all-encompassing, that, that covers in general the totality of someone's life, is service people in the military. Service people in the military, they have to understand authority because that's, that's everything, right? As a matter of fact, do me a favor. Uh, show of hands if you have served or are actively serving in our military. Just real quick, lift them up. If you're a service person, come on now. If you have served or actively serving, amen, thank you. Many of you know Pastor Izzy, our youth pastor. He's actively in the military as well. So I love talking to military people when it comes to authority because they get it. They get and understand being under authority and giving authority. They have an understanding that I think is different because in those moments, in the act of war, when you're at the battlefront, when you're going through a situation, you follow orders, you give orders, or people die. Like, it is not the moment. We're not going to be in the middle of a gunfire. Like, you really think we should do this? Hey, I got an existential question for you. It's like, now is not the time, bro. Like, now is the time to shut up and listen. Like, do what I'm calling you to do. I learned that the hard way one time. Uh, I was used to, you know, telling people what to do. And when my, when my wife and I were dating, <laughs> we were going on a trip somewhere. We were going on a, on a bus, uh, one of the mega buses. I think we were going to Minnesota. And, uh, you know, it's kind of hectic when you're traveling with somebody. So I said, hey, listen, I need you to do this, 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 and this. I'm going to go take care of this. But, you know, da, 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 take care of that. And then I turned around. I did a couple of things. I came back. None of the da, 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 that I asked her to do was done. So I'm like, what are you doing, lady? Like, we're on a crutch here. What's going on? And she, like, starts getting teared up because I'm yelling at her. And I'm like, come on. Like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you? A rookie move. We were, we were early in our dating. I didn't figure it out yet. But she's not a soldier in my military. 
She is not someone that I could just bark orders at and expect her to jump. I learned very quickly my wife needs clear instructions and she needs the why behind everything I'm asking her to do. So I learn. I don't ask her to do anything. I just do it myself. <laughs> but this understanding of, of authority, we really see this exemplified in Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus uh, whose base camp basically is this area called Capernaum. I actually went there, really beautiful place. I'll always do this now for the next year. I'm going to keep talking about places I've seen in Israel. But if you have your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 8. And for this service, I really want you to focus in on these five verses, verse 5 through 10. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need say go and they go, come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. I think one of our biggest struggles when it comes to our relationship with God is learning to submit to his authority. We love God the Savior. We have an issue with Jesus the Lord. When he is the Lord, that means he has authority over your life. That means you are no longer in control of your life, which, by the way, you never were. You are either a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. But this idea that you're in the middle ground, the devil owns the middle ground. So that's just, you're his. There is no independent in that sense. The only independence you can have is being independent from God, being separated from God. And that almost always happens when we fail to learn how to submit to the authority of Jesus in our life. Now, there's a few things that this Roman officer helps us understand when it comes to authority. And the first one is this. Authority is God-given. Authority is God-given. The Roman officer was not a believer, yet he called Jesus Lord. He assumed that this man of God would be defiled if he went into his home because he was an unbeliever. He recognizes God's authority through Jesus. And Romans 13, verse 1 through 2 says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. More now than I think ever before, we not only have a distrust of authority, we have a disdain for it. We openly rebel against authority. But look at what Scripture is telling us. It's telling us that all authority has been placed by God. Well, what about the bad authority? Still placed by God. Because you need to keep this in mind. God places all authority, but not all authority is placed for your benefit. Sometimes it's to judge the people of God. Sometimes it's to ripen the nation for judgment. If you look all throughout the history of the Bible, they didn't always have good authority. Even the very nation of Israel had several wicked kings, but it's because of how they were acting. So God gave them what they wanted. God gave them what they even needed in some of those moments. Why would God allow Babylon to take over Israel? Because Israel was being rebellious. And so oftentimes it's the same idea, like why would you discipline your child? Because I love them. And because when they get out of pocket, 
I got to get at them pockets. Like that just happens. Like I have to help them understand. And so God oftentimes will place authority in our lives that isn't necessarily to our benefit, but is going to be to his glory. What you need to understand is when Paul wrote this, he was writing this during the time of an emperor named Nero. Nero was a certifiable, literate psychopath. A legit, insane, malicious, sadistic psychopath. And here Paul is saying, honor and respect all authority because it's been placed by God. Each person who is given authority, here's what helps me with that. Each person who's given authority, they will answer to God for how they use it. If I'm a bad pastor, if I do evil things, if I misappropriate funds, if I you know, act in sinful ways, if I do things, it's not you that I will answer to. I will answer to the Lord. And trust me, I fear him more than I fear any of you in this room. So you need to understand that. So a lot of times people are like, I don't want to tie it to the church because, you know, pastor, I'm going around, you know, he got that nice shirt that he bought at Kohl's, you know, so. <laughs> I know half the congregation of men in this room have this shirt, but Kohl's bucks are real, man. You got to use them before they expire. But listen, people are like that, right? They, they withhold things because they judge whether you're worthy of the authority or not. It doesn't matter because you're not the one that gave them that authority. Some of you are like, well, we voted you in. You're not the one that gave me this authority. That was God. You confirmed it. You listened. But that was the Lord. So if you don't like me right now, that's between you and God. That's not my issue, okay? Unless it's like, unless I did something, then come talk to me. But here's what you need to understand. This might blow some of your minds for a second. But even Jesus' authority was God-given. Right? Well, what did it say? All authority has been given to me. Meaning somebody gave it to Jesus. Well, Ephesians chapter 1 goes in that a little bit. Verse 19 through 22. It says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Why, why did they set it up that way? I think part of it, and we'll get into this in a minute, because even though the Trinity is equal, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is still one God. We believe in one God and three parts, three offices or three fulfillments of that. There's an order to that. And I think one of the lessons he's teaching, this is the second thing that we see if you're taking notes, is that authority is understood through submission. Authority is understood through submission. What am I saying? You cannot wield authority if you don't understand how to submit to it. If you can't submit to authority, you're going to be very bad at wielding authority. Listen, Matthew 8, 9, we just read this, right? Talking about the Roman officer. Listen to what he says. He says, I know this, meaning I know that this will work because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. He is under authority and he has, he's over authority. So he understands how to be an authority over someone because he understands what it means to submit to authority in someone. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 27 through 28. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things under his authority, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. 
Then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. Now listen, this can be kind of confusing, but I don't want you to get too in the woods. Some might look at this and go, well, wait, wait, how is it one God if one's submitting to the other? The submission of Jesus to the Father doesn't come from any inherent inferiority. Instead, it comes from the administrative order of the Trinity. A son is always in submission to his father, even if both are equal in substance. In other words, one of the most important aspects of Jesus' life is giving us an example to live by. And what is that example? We all submit to authority. I submit to authority, you submit to authority. Jesus Christ has authority over all of us, and yet he still submitted to God the Father. Here's why that's important. You might have a little authority in your life, but are you submitting to God's authority? A lot of, a lot of men, they like to brag that I'm the man of this house. Okay, but is God the God of your house? Well, she got to respect me. Why? You're not following the God order, Right? God is the cover. Yeah, well, God, you know, man's supposed to be over his wife and God's supposed to be over you. Is God over you? Then why do you expect her to let you be over her? Like, that's just, you're out of pocket and you expect her to line up. Uh, it's hard. Well, you know, she don't respect me. I, I understand why. Because you don't respect God. You, you haven't given God the submission that he requires. And so you're not able to fully have that authority and love and care of your wife because you don't even submit to it. You don't even know what it looks like. Single parents will often have this. Well, they, I'm the parent. You got to submit to me. Okay, but are you submitting to God? Because this whole do as I say, not as I do doesn't fly with this generation anymore. They're too smart. They're watching you way more than they're ever listening to you. And so when you're in this place like, well, hey, listen, I'm the parent. I set the example. And you think that sending them to Excel or Compass Kids once or twice a week is somehow going to form their spiritual walk with the Lord. You are sorely mistaken. Their spiritual walk with God is mostly dependent on your spiritual walk with God. If you submit to God, they will submit to God. If you don't submit to God, don't expect them to submit to God. Why? Because they are under your authority. And if you are not under the authority of God, how would they understand how to be under that authority as well? Whether you're a boss, whether you're a pastor, whether you're an entrepreneur, whatever you are as a believer, we still submit to God. So I run my business the way the Lord tells me to run my business. I run my household the way the Lord tells me to run my household. I run this church and lead this church the way the Lord is guiding me to run and lead this church. Everything we do is incumbent on our submission to the Lord. A man who submits to no one can lead no one. And so if you don't understand how important it is to submit to God, then you are doing a very poor job of those that God has placed under your submission. Those who reject the authority will have a really hard time understanding the next point, which is that authority is telling, it's not asking. When God speaks, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Soldier got this. He goes, no, I get authority. When I say go, they go. When I say come, they come. James chapter one, verse 22 through 25 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. That illustration, if I can help you understand it just a little bit further, it's like you check your teeth in the mirror 
there's a big old hunk of spinach in the middle of it, and then you walk away and forget there was spinach in your teeth. Every time you open the word of God, he is reflecting something that needs adjusting or growth in. And if you don't do what it says, you are ignoring that prompting to grow. You see yourself, you walk away, you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. A lot of us don't like the fact that God is commanding, not asking. A lot of us don't like the fact that God is telling you, and he's not suggesting it to you, because of a pride issue. But listen, the Bible is very clear how God feels about pride. He says, I give grace to the humble, but I oppose the proud. That word oppose, by the way, since we've been talking about military, means I wage war against your pride. Humility, I'm gonna give you room. I'm gonna give you room to figure it out. I'm gonna give you room to make mistakes. I'm gonna give you room to get better. But a stubborn heart, we gonna fight. Stubborn heart, I'm gonna get at you. And listen, we get it. Those of us in this room who are parents, oh, we definitely get it. When my kid comes up to me with humility, you know, the other day, you know, she was trying to wipe herself. You know, she, she messed up a little bit. She said, puppy, I'm sorry. I'm like, hey, not a problem. But if one day she just decided to be, you know, Van Gogh on the walls with her <laughs> different situation, right? When my child is prideful, something in me wells up. When my child is humble, something in me brings her close. It's no different with the Lord. When God tells you to do something and you buck at him, don't act like he's going to submit to you. Listen, you are not going to outstubborn God. A day is like a thousand years. He got you. Okay, that's not going to be something you win. The easier route is submission. Because if you don't learn to submit, he will submit you. And if you've ever watched wrestling, if you watched a UFC fight yesterday, you understand submission doesn't feel good. Not when you're forced to. Fourth thing is this. Authority has the right to power. Listen, the reason Jesus can call on your submission is because he's been given that right and that authority and that power. That's why the Roman officer recognized it in Jesus. He said, you don't need to come to my house. I recognize the authority that you walk in. Just say the word and my servant will be healed from where you are. That, that's genuine authority, right? Just say the word. Just, just make, listen, it's almost like if somebody were on death row, you want to talk about authority? Only the governor can pardon that person at that point. One man or one woman has the authority to stop the death of an inmate on death row. All they have to do is say the word. They're not even at the prison. They're not even at the place. They just got to pick up the phone from wherever they're at, say the word, and a life is spared. That's power. That's authority. That's serious, serious stuff. Jesus had the power to say one word because of his authority. <clears throat> and here's the reality. Not just anyone can give that command. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, we read this story in, in Acts. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 19, verse 13 through 16. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, in other words, they, they were using it like a magic spell. They didn't know God. They didn't have a relationship with God. But they heard these disciples of Jesus casting out demons in Jesus' name. So they figured in Jesus' name was no different than abracadabra. So they tried to use their name in incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. 
Seven sons of Sceva, that's the name of this guy, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, listen to this, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Hey, I recognize the authority of Jesus and I recognize the authority of Paul, but who are you to tell me to come out? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. They found out that day that was not the move. Who are you? It's a question that I think would really sober a lot of us up if we tried to walk in the authority of God but weren't willing to submit to the authority of God. When we lift up prayers and instead of hearing the Lord respond, the demon that's tormenting you goes, hey, I know Pastor Joey. I'm just going to brag on myself for a half a second. I know Sal. I know Pastor Carlos. I know Pastor Ariel. I know Emily. I know, I know these people. And I know Jesus that you're talking about. Who are you? You walk in here under your own authority, under your own power. And guess what? That means nothing to me. That means nothing in the spiritual realm. You realize even our prayers, our prayers have no authority in and of themselves. That's why all of our prayers are co-signed by Jesus at the end, right? How do we end our prayer? In Jesus' name. Not in Joey's name. Not in your name. I can't talk to God in my own name. I can't ask the king of the universe anything in my own name. I pray on the authority of Jesus that has been given to me by Jesus Christ. So when I come before the throne of grace that we talked about, this holy of holies that I was never able to enter in before Jesus came in, I'm not coming in by the authority of Belmont Assembly of God, and I'm not coming in by the authority of Pastor Joey. I'm not coming in by the authority of the mayor of Chicago. I am coming in by the authority of the one and only Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Pastor Jason, worship you if you can help me out, or just Pastor Jason, that's fine. The most important thing the Roman officer did was he put his faith in Jesus. Think about this now. He's a Roman officer, an oppressor of God's people, a Gentile or an unbeliever, if you will. Someone that most of the Jews would have despised, although scripture tells us in Luke that he was at least a decent man and the Jews liked him. Nonetheless, he carried the enemy's badge. And this foreigner, not for even for himself, but just shows his character for his servant, he made a bold decision to put his faith in Jesus. Why? Because as a man of authority and under authority, he recognized true authority. It's like the old saying, game recognizes game. <laughs> authority recognizes authority. He looked at our Lord and said that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All he needs to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. He called them Lord and believed Jesus could do the impossible. And that's why Jesus praises him in front of everybody, not for his service record or for his understanding of his authority, but for how great his faith was. According to Jesus, the greatest in all of Israel. Philippians 2, verse 6 through 11. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. This is talking about Jesus. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. 
He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's one thing I just need you to help you understand. Whether you recognize the authority of Jesus as Lord or not does not diminish his authority. And here's what scripture is telling us. When it's all said and done, at the end of the age, whether it's the end of the world or the end of your world, every person will stand before Jesus. And after we stand, we will kneel. Some will kneel in honor and some will kneel in fear. But all will kneel in recognition that here is the man who carries the authority of God. He is the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Those who kneel with joy do so because we've already knelt on this earth and we've already submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ as Lord of our life. Those who kneel with fear do so because they recognize in that moment they'll realize it's too late. I had my chance and I didn't take it. Listen, if I'm wrong about this and you're right, nothing happens. So I'm square either way. But if I'm right about this and you're wrong, are you willing to risk it all? Are you willing to submit to all authority? So I'm gonna ask you to stand as we close. And just do me a favor while you stand. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? I'm gonna do this quickly. But if you're in this place, sir, ma'am, and you have not submitted to the authority of God, meaning you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, You've never said yes to a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about how many times you go to church. There are people who go to church every week for their entire lives and still not submit to the authority of God. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about recognition that Jesus is who he says he is and you are willing to accept him not just as Savior but as Lord. To say, God, I don't want to do this on my own. And I bend the knee now to you, Lord. Because here's the beauty of it. The authority of God in our life is not to hurt us or to harm us, but to give us hope in the future. So with every head bowed and every eye closed between you and God, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I want to give my life to the Lord right here, right now. I don't know if I'm going to have tomorrow, so I don't want to put it off. All I need you to do is signal me by lifting up your hand, and we're going to pray for you. If that's you, just go ahead and do that right where you're at. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I see you. Anyone else? says That's me, pastor. Thank you. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Thank you, sister. I see you. Anyone else? That's me, pastor. Amen. Church, I'm going to ask your help. And uh, prayer team, altar team, if you can be up here, we're going to have them meet you in a moment. Church, would you just repeat after me? Say, Jesus, I recognize in this moment your authority as King of kings 
and Lord of Lords. And in this moment, I submit my life to you. I ask you, God, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Make me yours. I ask you, Lord, to guide me today and every day of my life. Make me more like you and less like me. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, would you?